Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, just a quick note before we begin that the audio on this one is frankly not very good. There was a little bit of a malfunction on my end, so I apologize for that. I promise the quality of the show is good, but unfortunately, the audio is is not what you are used to. So we're shaking off the off-season rust. We'll be better next week, I promise. Just wanted to uh, pop on beforehand and say that I apologize for that. I felt awful once I realized my mistake. Again, be better next week. I hope you guys enjoy. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I'm your host, Will McFadden. It is Tuesday, July 18th, as I record this. You will hear it on Wednesday, which means we are a week away from Atlanta Falcons training camp. And so that is what we've got on the docket today. Going to give five pre-camp predictions, which, you know, take that with a huge Morton box of sea salt because... I don't know any more than you do at this point. It's all predictions, but it's going to be a little bit of a fun way, I think, to go through some major uh, training camp storylines before we get into camp. No guests today. I'm flying solo. Uh, It is really, truly the dead period. So I want to give everybody as much time away as possible and and try to use and cash in on some of the, uh, the chips that I may have when training camp rolls around. So I'm flying solo today. And then we're also going to, at the top, before I get into some of my pre-camp predictions, I want to just touch on what happened with the running back market yesterday. Obviously, Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, and Tony Pollard could not come to a long-term agreement after uh, the franchise tag or before the franchise tag deadline of yesterday. So with the Falcons drafting Bijan Robinson, I just felt like it was a worthwhile topic to touch upon and kind of consider what are the long-term um plans for Atlanta and Bijan and what should fans be prepared for um, a few years down the line. So that is what we've got today. But first, BetOnline is the number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games, which are available to play right from your phone. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. So I mentioned Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard uh, do not come to a long-term contract extension with their respective teams before the franchise tag deadline. That's big news, obviously, in the uh, running back market world, which is maybe at an all-time low. Uh, It has been trending that way. Bill Barnwell did a a really good piece for ESPN. Um, He's done several. I went on a little bit of a tab uh, rabbit hole reading through the main piece that he has up right now, which kind of digs into uh, several questions that are arising just after everything went down yesterday. Um, But it was kind of a fascinating little bit of a deep dive into how we've arrived here, right? And he mentions in in one of those pieces that he did, Melvin Gordon kind of pointing to Todd Gurley and Todd Gurley getting that second contract only to really 
we all know how that played out. You know, his knee issues crept back up. He ends up in Atlanta. It's not the worst season I've ever seen from any player in, in the world, but it wasn't what uh, fans were expecting when they got Todd Gurley. And so the Rams kind of became a little bit of that poster child of giving a huge second contract to a player whose past performances undoubtedly warranted that type of number, but the future prospects probably didn't live up to it at the time. And in hindsight, they definitely didn't live up to it. And so Melvin Gordon pointed to that, which is just a little bit recent. Um, and Bill notes that uh, in his piece. And so I was thinking back to Trent Richardson, right? You know, a former number four overall pick who just absolutely does nothing in the league. And it kind of felt like at that point, the notion of, okay, running backs is maybe sure things like that was never always the case, but seemed as though that coupled with, and Bill notes this in the piece as well, the 2011 CBA, just the way it changed the, the way that the draft kind of system and the slotted draft picks were tied to the actual contract numbers and how now the 12th pick in the draft is slotted towards X, regardless of which position he, he plays. So therefore, the more expensive positions become inherently more valuable than the others because the price is kind of negligible. You're not negotiating. It's kind of slotted in there for you already. So get a more expensive player position on the free market for that spot. That is why the whole conversation about running back value is really started. It's relative to what on the open market a player would get versus what they're getting in this slotted tiered draft system. And the running back, there's not a, much of a discrepancy there. And so you're also seeing anecdotally, you know, teams can kind of get fresher, more late round legs, much more cheaply and frequently. And you can throw a guy like a Tyler Algier out there. And when you've got a great offensive line, and a great run scheme, it works. It works. So all of that makes sense. However, Bijan Robinson, if he is able to be a receiver, if he's able to bring an element to the game like Christian McCaffrey does, and, and that's become, or an Austin Eckler, if I want to throw another name out there, but a truly versatile dual threat type of running back. And again, my favorite comp is, is frankly kind of a Cordero Patterson or a Debo Samuel, because I do think we need to be looking at Bijan Robinson as more of a one-to-one -one wide receiver hybrid than people really were talking about him coming out of college. That doesn't mean he's not going to line up in the pistol and he's going to take a handoff and he's going to do an outside zone run to the left when he gets Chris Lindstrom or somebody right in front of him, it's not going to be awesome. But I do think that he's going to be lined out wide. I think he's going to be lined up in the slot. I think he's going to be in motion. I think he's going to be everywhere. So again, I continue to say they drafted a flex player, not necessarily a pure running back. Is that worth the value in and of itself? I don't know. But I do think that the Falcons see more value in Bijan Robinson than just a true pure running back. And they have to, right, to be able to justify a selection like this. He's got to really help in all facets of the offense. But if Bijan Robinson, if he is able to be that multifaceted player, if he is able to be both an element in the passing game and the run game, can he buck the trend? Maybe. My main point, though, is that given the news that and how everything broke down Monday afternoon when none of those guys were able to reach a, a long-term deal, before it's really even begun, before Bijan Robinson has even played his first snap for the Falcons, is the clock already ticking? If the market continues the way it is, it might be.
the main topic of today. And that is going to be five predictions for Atlanta Falcons training camp. Obviously, as I prefaced right up at the top, take it with a grain of salt. These are just predictions, but I have been attending Falcons training camp and covering it since 2017. So you boys been around for a little bit. I kind of know what to expect. I, I think I know the cadences and I, I know the drum beats a little bit. And, you know, now going into year three with Arthur Smith, I think I know a little bit at least about what he was looking for last year. Right. And so the beauty of the NFL and why I'm so fascinated by it is that it changes year to year. And it's like the league is a dog chasing its own tail. It's just trying to keep up with itself. And that leads to all sorts of new and fascinating innovations. And then we're going to go back to this old idea, but we're going to put a new wrinkle on it. It's really, really cool. And it's why I have so much respect for Arthur Smith, because I think that he is equally fascinated by that aspect of the game and also very, very good at that aspect of the game. So he does a good job, I think, of laying the breadcrumbs for what you should be looking for. And so last year, and this is my first prediction, huge emphasis on the deep ball. And I think that's going to be the case uh, again, right? As camp went along, it wasn't early on because it started out and everybody was kind of taken by Marcus Mariota's uh, dual threat abilities, the read option. That was just an element to the offense that was not there with Matt Ryan. So for the first eight practices or so, that was really kind of what everybody was captivated by. And and keep in mind, Desmond Ritter at this point, still a third round uh, rookie, not really getting a ton of mix in there. And um, Kyle Pitts was another big storyline, Richie Grant. So once the dust kind of settled, Arthur Smith started this little drumbeat of, all right, I want to see these guys taking more chances through the air, pushing the ball downfield, and we need to hit on these plays. The receivers need to make those catches when the ball's in, in position. You know, even if it's a contested catch, you got to make these catches. And the quarterbacks, don't be afraid to keep swinging. Take these shots. Keep going. Even if you're missing them, keep going. It's a little bit about a numbers game because you hope that eventually they're going to start falling, right? You're you're a batter in the batter's box and you're just on a cold streak. You just kind of got to trust. You keep swinging away. Eventually, you'll be able to break yourself out of this slump. And so I went back and I looked at at Desmond Ritter's uh, deep ball numbers in his uh, four starts last year. Um, This is all based on on PFF, by the way. So 8.7% of his attempts last season uh, were 20 plus yards, which are categorized as deep passes. So he threw 10 passes in his four starts over 20 yards. Now, that's not like the lowest rate in the world. You're not just going to be, they're not the Cincinnati Bengals. They're not totally just running nine routes left and right moving forward. That, That kind of wasn't what the Falcons offense was last year. And I don't expect it to be that moving forward, but he was just two for 10 on those passes. So you've got to be better than just a 20% clip, even though this is, you know, ostensibly the most difficult throw that you're going to make in a game or these deep shot plays, you got to be hitting them at at more than a 20% clip for this offense, I think, to really become the version of itself that it wants to be. The other number, 26.1% of his attempts were between 10 and 19 yards, right? So all told, that's 34.8% were beyond 10 yards. That means a lot of short passes, a lot of short passes. The way that I envision this offense really, really working is that be it through personnel groupings and, and bigger packages, be it through an intense focus on the run game, Falcons want to 
pull opposing defenses into coverages that they can easily identify and know how to attack and can do so with the players that they have in place. Single high, cover three, get one-on-one matchups on the outside, throw some of these boundary kind of fades, go balls, jump balls, comebacks, whatever, but give your bigger receivers a position to box out, make these contested catches, and then you're really kind of hitting teams in, in both ways. On the ground, you're punching them in the mouth, punching them in the mouth, punching them in the mouth, and then you want to go up over top, and you really want to make them pay, and that is where the explosive efficiency comes in. You don't need a ton of those shots. You don't need to hit you know, 12, 20-plus passes in a game, but if you can hit three at the right time, whew, that'll go a long way helping you win maybe a close one-score game, but they just need to be able to hit more of those, and so I expect that to be kind of Early and often, something that they're going to be asking Desmond Ritter to do is push the ball down the field, build this chemistry, build your confidence with your receivers, with Kyle Pitts down the field, and let's take some shots and let's uh, make some things happen. So that's my first uh, prediction for training camp. Uh, My second one is on the defensive side of the ball, I think you're going to see a relatively simple defensive scheme. And I don't mean that to, to say that the Falcons defensive scheme during the fall is going to be simple by any means, but I think they're going to keep it pretty vanilla. I just think there's going to be a lot of rotation. I think you're going to see a lot of guys coming in and out, almost like, you know, we've seen at times with Atlanta's offense when they've been at full gear and really healthy is you've seen, you know, guys with specific roles come in for two plays, then they're back out or somebody comes in and they just get an extended run and they're in there for 12 plays. And we weren't really expecting that, but the package is obviously Grown for that player. And so you've got guys like Ade Ogundeji, Bud Dupree, Lorenzo Carter, um, Arnold Evicati, like those four guys, I expect them to be rotating a lot. You got your interior defensive linemen, your David Onyamatas, your Clayus Campbells, your Grady Jarrett's, your um, Taekwon Grands, like a lot of rotations between just your first two lines. And I'm not even getting to your three, four, five deep on the depth chart. And so defensively there's just more competition across the board than anything the Falcons have had in in a while maybe going back to like 2017 2018 um that type of feeling when you've got like a Kamal Ishmael coming in on your on your third team but at least he's doing something and that's what I think you're going to see from the Falcons defensively early on and defenses usually kind of get the upper leg they're the they punch first in training camp uh for lack of a better phrase is, you know, because the offense is so built upon rhythm and timing and communication and all of this stuff. And generally, you know, I think teams are a little bit more vanilla when it comes to offense because they're afraid of of showing anything on film um, that could be used against them or give uh, teams any type of notion of what could be coming during the season. And so I do think the defenses kind of get their footing a little bit quicker. So, uh, you know, I, I expect a lot of talk about how there's four players with a hand on their in the dirt, and then there's, you know, three linebackers ostensibly standing up behind them. And, um, you know, is it going to be a single high or a cover two or all, like all that talk? I wouldn't buy into too much of the scheme stuff because I've been going back and I've been watching, you know, a lot of New Orleans uh, tape and it, it's going to change. It's going to be versatile. It's going to be multiple. All defenses in the league are nowadays. Watch for the personnel because I think there's going to be a heavier rotation of guys than maybe we've experienced uh, in years prior. So number three, number two wasn't my my boldest prediction in the world. Um, so this one I, I think is has a little bit of 
of spice on it. Um, Drake London, not B. John Robinson, not Kyle Pitts, not Desmond Ritter, is going to be the star of Atlanta Falcons training camp. I guess I could have named a defensive player in there as well, you know, Jesse Bates or Grady Jarrett. Um, but it's going to be Drake London. And I, I think back to Kyle Pitts year two, and, and maybe this is a good argument for why we're going to be a little bit cautious uh, in doing that again this year. But in year two, Kyle Pitts was the talk of training camp. He looked comfortable. He looked smooth. He looked confident. He looked well rested, frankly. And that is something that a lot of rookies, the rookie wall exists. It's real. It's the longest year of their life, as Arthur Smith likes to say. And he reminds them of that. And so I think Drake London actually getting dinged up a little bit in training camp may have helped save him and keep him a little bit fresher going into the season. But obviously you don't want to go into your first year injured. Coming out of his first offseason, I know he's been working a lot with TJ Yates um, on some of the fumbling issues. It's going to be 215 degrees out there anyway, so I don't expect him to be in in long sleeves. Um, So that might be a a problem that starts creeping up a little bit later on in the year. Not too worried about that impacting his uh, training camp hype. And because of the nature of training camp, because the physicality of it all kind of doesn't come into play until a little bit later on. I just think we're going to be seeing clip after clip after clip of Drake London one-on-one going up against guys, looking really sharp, getting toes down right on the sideline. Maybe he mosses somebody or two, um, but just because of the 11-on-11 Pascali nature of training camp early on, Drake London is going to get an early lead on this. And then I, I just think he's going to be really smooth, really solid all throughout camp. The connection with uh, Desmond Ritter was apparent early on um, once Desmond Ritter finally saw the field. So expect that to pick right back up. And uh, and Drake London is going to build on what was a really good rookie season, even though the overall stats weren't there. Again, that's more of a product of the specific offense that he was a part of on a per snap and per route basis. His numbers were up there with some of the best in the league. Go check him out. Um, I have really high hopes for Drake London in year two, and I think that is going to start sooner rather than later. And coming out of training camp, we are going to really be talking about Drake London uh, being set up nicely as the number one wide receiver in this offense uh, and the kind of go-to guy for Desmond Ritter. So that's my third pre-camp prediction. Number four, this one uh, is is also a little bit out there. And the the final two are predictions about specific camp battles. I think that D. Alford is going to beat out Mike Hughes for the uh, starting nickel spot. And D. Alford didn't play a ton of snaps for Atlanta last year. Uh, I think it was just kind of north of 230 um, for the the season. But when he was in there, he played really well. The uh, the former CFL um, player who, who joined Atlanta last season you know, is is kind of right in the prime window of, of his age. And he's still fairly, you know, kind of raw in terms of NFL playing time. But the coaching staff at every turn seemingly, you know, is is praising him, is kind of boosting his confidence. He did stand out in a secondary that was a little bit, you know, it, it was an interesting ride for the secondary because in camp, and I should have mentioned this as well, like the secondary was one of the primary early stories, right? With Richie Grant being back there and Jalen Hawkins and, and Casey Hayward coming in, AJ Terrell coming off a big year. It was 
all right, man, this secondary looks really strong. And now you've helped bolster the depth a little bit with Aaron Hall. You brought in the Alford Cornell Armstrong. It wasn't really a known name yet, but people still were, okay, that's, that's cool. Um, then they dealt with some injuries. Obviously, Casey Aver got hurt. Um, D. Alford uh, actually was kind of one of the fun surprises early on with that interception uh, against the Browns that helped clinch that game. So the depth was tested, but also kind of stood up to some of the scrutiny early. But then some of the issues really took their toll over the course of the season, right? As, as offenses find their midseason stride, and the pass rush continues to be an issue. The secondary is just continually kind of hung out to dry a little bit. And we saw, uh, like, obviously the moves that were made to address some of those issues this offseason, which is why it's, on the one hand, interesting that they continue to say, hey, look, we really like the offer. He's, he's a good player. He's doing everything he's, we're asking of him. He's improving all of that nice stuff that you like to hear, you know, teams say about you as a player. But then... They're making moves like bringing in Jeff Okuda and bringing in Mike Hughes and, you know, Jesse Bates a different position. But it's clear that like the secondary, they felt needed a little bit of an overhaul. So why am I picking D. Alford over Mike Hughes? You know, another highly touted uh, draft pick who, who they made a move to, to kind of bring in this offseason. I just think that if you extrapolate, if he is able to continue to do the little things that he did well, I thought he was really solid in coverage, um, better than, you know, some of the other corners that they had playing more time. I thought he was a better tackler than a lot of the other players in Atlanta secondary. And we know that New Orleans asked their corners and especially their safeties to be physical. Um, and, and so I think that that is something that playing close to the line of scrimmage, D. Alford can definitely bring to the table. It's not to say my cues isn't, um, I, but I just think that the there's a certain type of like aggressive tenacity that I, I just think the offered like a scrappiness, if you will. Right. That, that I think he, he brings um, that is definitely effective kind of in a pass rush sense as well. And that was one area that we did see the Falcons utilize him on. I think he had three total pressures, one sack last year. Um, his three pressures were you know pretty high up among secondary members, even though it was only three. And even though he's kind of only in a limited role. So I just envisioned him in that close to the line of scrimmage role coming in, blitzing the quarterback every once in a while, but he does have that lateral quickness to stem people. He played a lot in the slot last season. So as I was looking around the roster for areas that, you know, could be surprises in terms of camp battles, and there may not be a ton of true blue camp battles for Atlanta this year, right? I think the left guard, which we'll get to here in one second, not to spoil my final um, pre-camp prediction. I think that's one. I think, you know, you still need to maybe figure out what's what's your third linebacker looking uh, like over there. And then you've got your your corner situation, whether that be slot, you know, we'll see what Jeff Okuda does on the other uh, boundary corner situation. Um, and then really wide receiver, but that's just a total up in the air thing, like anybody's game, <laughs> I guess, over a wide receiver behind uh, Drake London and, and I guess Matt Collins as well. But that is why I was I was looking at this one in particular, because I know that D. Alford is a player who had his flashes last season. And I always like to look at who's a player that did really well in limited time. Can they sustain that play with an increased workload? And I think that the way that he was able to do it throughout the course of the season, and unlike a player like Darren Hall, who played a lot of snaps and was in a starting role, but then his numbers just absolutely vanished at the end of the season as they kind of realized that 
there were some uh, flaws to his game that were kind of really glaring at certain times when they just couldn't afford them to be. I think that that speaks highly of where D Alford is in the pecking order and, and maybe the chance that he has in front of them or in front of him with another uh, really solid training camp like he had last year. So that is number four. And as I mentioned, number five, and I've gone back and forth and back and forth on what my actual prediction is uh, for this. So that is a testament to how close I think it's going to be. But I think in the battle of the mats, it's going to be Bergeron who gets the starting nod over Hennessy. And up until now, in fact, on uh, on Chris Goforth's radio show on 99 The Game last week, um, or two weeks ago, rather, I said that I would give Matt Hennessy the uh, the edge going into camp over Matthew Bergeron. And that's, you know, solely has everything to do with the fact that Matt Hennessy has been in the NFL for multiple seasons now. And I think that it is very hard. Maybe it is the hardest position playing offensive line in college and then going and adjusting to offensive line in the NFL. It is a completely different game. I feel like it's a completely different language. A lot of the time, the responsibilities multiply and the difficulty exponentially harder. You're now going against guys like, you know, maybe once a season you had to play a Quinnen Williams or a Jalen Carter. And now that's like, all right, week two, we got Jalen Carter. Week four, we got Quinnen Williams. Then you're playing Aaron Donald in week five. Like, it's just week in and week out, an interior offensive lineman's life is awful. So for that reason, I typically do give the edge to guys who have at least been in the league and have actual reps going against it. And then I took a second look at Matthew Bergeron, and I, I just feel like his experience, he played in 46 games for, uh, for Syracuse. I, I want to say he started 39 of those. Um, an incredibly polished run defender or run, uh, run blocker. He, like Chris Lindstrom, just understands leverage and angles really well. He moves nicely for somebody who is 315 pounds. And none of this is to disparage Matt Hennessy, who does kind of these same things. He does the same things. It's just that as I look back at the fact that he did get run for Atlanta late in the season, and, and he didn't play poorly, Matt Hennessy I'm, I'm talking about. And the Falcons still went out and drafted a, a left guard basically in the second round. So I kind of can't get past that fact right there. And maybe Matt Hennessy's, you know, career is, is a long time interior kind of like swing guy, right? Play a little center if you need him to play guard, you know, like that maybe is what he brings to the table. And so maybe the Falcons said, cool, we've got our depth taken care of with what we have in house. Now we need to try to go and elevate our, our starting. And know that, all right, if Matt, Matt Hennessy has to play and start for us, we have proof that he can do it really well. And maybe there's another level that he can go to that we can truly find ourselves a long-term starter at left guard. Like, I don't think that's out of the question at all. But they did still go and address the offensive line in the second round. And we all kind of know that that left guard spot is the, is the one area that has yet to be solidified. So. I think that they have high expectations for Matthew Bergeron. I think that they view his ceiling maybe a little bit higher than, than some of the other guys in-house, and that is why they ultimately decided to, to take him with that pick. So for all those reasons, even though I'm bucking my own kind of personal flavor of go with the offensive lineman who's been in the trenches literally before and you know you're, you're going to get, I, just, I think Matthew Bergeron is a nice player. 
I, I really like what I see from him on film. I expect that to translate pretty well to the NFL level. And unlike a lot of the offensive linemen um, who are coming out nowadays, I do think that what he saw at Syracuse is going to be able to translate a little bit quicker and that he does have, again, these 46 games under his belt. That's a lot of experience for a player coming into the NFL at offensive line. And, and for that reason, you know, I think that he's going to look pretty good from day one and not look, you know, out of his depth. And maybe that'll help him rise up the depth chart uh, and, and steal that starting job. So those are my five pre-camp predictions. Let me run through them really quickly again. Emphasis on the deep ball early and often for Atlanta's offense. A, a simple defensive scheme, but a lot of rotation and a lot of interesting player combinations uh, for Atlanta's defense. Drake London is going to be the star of the camp, not Kyle Pitts, not Jesse Bates, not A.J. Terrell, not B. John Robinson. It's going to be Drake London. D. Alford is going to win your starting nickel job and beat out Mike Hughes. And then Matthew Bergeron, the rookie, will be the starting left guard and beat out Matt Hennessy and, you know, Jalen Mayfield will throw his name in there as well, but he's going to, Matthew Bergeron is going to emerge with the uh, starting left guard job for Atlanta. So there you go. Five predictions that are guaranteed to be wrong. If you want to share this video right after training camp is over and go over five, Will, and just make fun of me, have at it. I don't care. Training camp is right around the corner and I'm very excited. So nothing you can say will hurt my feelings because football is back. So stay tuned. I hope you guys will continue to check out the feed um, next week because camp is actually, I believe, starting on a Wednesday. What I may do is is kind of just start our whole rollover into Thursday podcasts. Um, so next week, look for your next podcast on this feed on Thursday, and that'll give me a chance to kind of recap the first day of, of training camp practice for you guys there. And then I'm hoping to make it up to my first camp practice uh, either Friday or Saturday. And then I may try to do, I need to figure out the logistics on this, but a live uh, podcast after practice, after one of the training camp practices up in Flowery Branch. So I, I need to kind of think through that a little bit more, but you're going to get more of me. You're going to get more of Ovi. And during training camp, you're going to get more podcasts on this feed. So don't know exactly what the cadence is going to be. Going to keep trying to get you guys one at least every Thursday, but you're going to probably be having more come throughout the week if any big news happens any injuries, knock on wood, um, I will be here at least in some capacity to break it on down for y'all. So thank you guys so much again for listening to today's episode of Believe in Falcons, which as always was presented by Bet Online. Please follow me on Twitter at Will McFadden for as long as that website is up and running. Uh, you can check us out also on YouTube, uh, Believe in Falcons. Check out our channel. And because I just get the sense that the 2023 feeling is going to be so much fun here in Atlanta. Please spread the word. Let them know where you can find great analysis from myself, from a former NFL player in Ovi Mahaley. And he has promised that we're going to get some of his former teammates on the show as well throughout the season. So please let everybody know where they can find us. We'll see you guys next time for the start of the 2023 NFL season, which kicks off with Atlanta Falcons training camp. Until then, everybody, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V 
on YouTube.